Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Today is Labor Day, September 6, 2021. I'm Rick Morton, and this is the Defender Bible Study. We want to welcome you back today to this edition of the Defender Bible Study. We, like you, are off today because of Labor Day. And so in lieu of our having our normal Bible study podcast that coincides with our staff Bible study, we're going to to give you a little extra special treat today. And so earlier this year, Herbie uh, was at Northport Baptist Church with Reverend John Jenkins, who is on our pastoral advisory board, had an opportunity to preach to their church during a an Orphan Sunday, and we want to share that sermon with you and, and just hope you'll enjoy the opportunity to be able to dig into God's Word to consider about how we as the church have an opportunity to put the gospel on display in the way that we care for orphan and vulnerable children. And so without further delay, here's Herbie from earlier this year at Northport Baptist Church in Northport, Alabama. Well, uh, it's such a privilege to gather together and worship with you again. And, you know, uh, I, was, I was reflecting even on just being here this morning and, and realizing that it was about this time last year that I had the opportunity and the privilege to stand before my brothers and sisters of of Northport Baptist, and who in the world knew what we were were going to face over the last year? Who knew what would happen and and how the the topography of everything would change, uh, how fear would cripple our world, uh, how this, this deadly virus would come and infect and affect so many people, to see the, the economies of the world start to crumble, to see injustice on the streets, to see division and polarization. Who in the world among us knew? But this morning, I want us to celebrate that our God knew. Nothing took him by surprise. And as his children, as brothers and sisters, as children of the Most High God, we have a God that is not surprised by what will happen tomorrow, by what will happen today, or what will happen in 2021. And that gives us great confidence, not to shrink back, but to go forward knowing that our Father knows the next steps, He knows what the next day will bring, and He ordained us to be His messengers to a world that does not have the same hope. So I don't know about you, but 2020 has been a difficult year. It's been a a trying year. Uh, Leading a ministry, I have at many times felt like I had two new jobs that were thrust upon me. One was all of a sudden a medical doctor as I was trying to diagnose people's symptoms to see if they could come into work or they needed to stay home or or they needed to, to, to take a week off and and I'll go ahead and tell you, I've, I've never been one for medicine, but I, I've, I've figured a lot of things out as much as I can. But then also just trying to figure out how to, how to take next steps and, and not just shooting a vision out for a year or for a period, but literally day by day, what's our vision for today? How are we going to survive today? How are we going to make it through today? But 
Thanks be to God through his inexpressible gift of grace that he has upheld us and that we have the hope of the gospel that takes us through each and every moment. And so as your pastor said, today we are really looking at God's word and, and, and reminding ourselves of the sanctity of life. And, and really, has 2020 not been an exercise in looking at the sanctity of life? You know, with all the things that have happened, praise be to God that life has been put on a pedestal to be defended and to be protected, right? We, 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 we've done things that we've done as, as social distancing and, 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 and wearing masks and taking protection because we want to show that we care for life. And so let's praise that in a society that devalues life, that in 2020 we valued life and protecting life. But brothers and sisters, we need to know that, that we don't live in a society and we don't live in a day where, where life will continue to be valued. But as God's people, we must value life. We must speak out for life. And we must show the world that God created life and made life in his image. And that's going to draw us this morning to a passage in 1 John we're going to start in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, but ultimately our passage is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And, and the reason that I love this book of 1 John is because I really believe it addresses what we have been through and what we are walking through, and it reminds us as a church who we are, made in the image of God, adopted by God as his children. The adopted love of God is what holds us, it's what sends us, and it's what keeps us. 1 John was, was written really to assure the believer of eternal life, and, and that eternal life was found in believing in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You see, false teachers had arisen in the church, and some of these were teaching that, that Jesus wasn't human or that he wasn't really the Messiah. It was a time in the church where the apostles were growing older, and there was rapid growth in the church throughout the Roman Empire, and so true doctrine was lost, and John was, was writing to reclaim it amongst his people. And brothers and sisters, I, I've even thought there are so many in our midst, unfortunately, that they have used this global pandemic as an excuse to untether themselves from the local church. There are those who, who are either scared or who have just gotten into a routine of not being a part of the, God, the family of God. Or even scarier, they're looking for ways to, to fit in the Bible into their lives instead of looking at the whole counsel of God and looking at the gospel of God. We live in a time where we have divorced ourselves from good doctrine, and instead we are, we are really chasing after the winds of the world. And, and that's what John was, he was writing to say, look at the true doctrine. John, John likely wrote this book from Ephesus, and Ephesus uh, was, was, a, was a city of, of great wealth, but also a city that, that, that worshipped the god Artemis. There was a temple in the middle of Ephesus, and it was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Ephesus was known in Paul's time as the greatest place for trade in all the places of Asia Minor. And so these false teachers had come into the church, and, and they were claiming to be Christian. And it confused the young church about whom to believe. What, what are we supposed to believe? Where are we supposed to go? There was confusion amongst God's people. And I don't know about you, but with so many different opinions, everybody has an opinion on what to do and what's the right thing to do. Have you not found yourself in 2020 at times confused? What's right? What's wrong? 
What should I do? How should I respond? So many people are peddling. This is the biblical response. This is what you're supposed to do. So many different opinions, so many different diversions, and it's created so much polarization. And I believe that God's word today is calling us back, not to political positions, not to worldly positions, not to opinion, but to his word that draws us together in unity to one mission. We're adopted into God's family, brought from many different opinions, many different places, many different socioeconomic places, many different ethnicities and cultures into one family united to one purpose, and that is the gospel of Christ Jesus. And that's what John is doing here. The theme of the letter is from a wise, loving father to a troubled church. John writes to fathers. He writes to to women, to young men, to children. But throughout this epistle, he always refers to them, and we'll see this here in a minute, as little children. As a father saying to his flock, little children, a term of endearment, a term of love. And so John's theme of the letter makes three things very clear to the church. The first is the children of God believe in Jesus Christ. But second, the children of God keep his commandments. And third, the children of God love one another. And so 1 John therefore calls the church back to three basics of the Christian life. And we'll see those in our passage. True doctrine, obedient living, and fervent devotion. God is light. And he is the one that sends us out to love one another, to love God, and to love the world. And so with that basis, let's start in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children... Abide in him, being Jesus, so that when he, Jesus, appears, we may have confidence not to shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what, will we, what, will we, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall all be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Again, this term of endearment, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John states here, that we are all adopted by God through his life, his death, and his resurrection. All of those who believe, confess, repent, and place their trust and faith in God, you are now adopted by God. And being God's children creates a response in us. 
It reorients the way we live, it reorients the way we think, and it reorients the way that we act. So, you know, there were a lot of little things during 2020 and these little, you know, different phenomenons, and we actually succumbed as a family to one of the phenomenons, and that was the COVID puppy. And so our children had been begging for a dog for so many years, and our whole deal was, well, we just don't have the time to train a dog. Well, all of a sudden, when you're at home 24-7, you have a lot of time on your hands. And so our kids talked us into getting a puppy. And, and Ashley and I actually uh, decided to surprise them, and we found a dog that was reasonable over in Mississippi, and we took a day trip to Mississippi, and we picked out this puppy, and this puppy was scared to death. That little puppy whimpered the whole way. He shook in Ashley's arms. Then the kids came and excited, and they're yelling and screaming so excited, and the puppy just didn't know what to do, and he was so scared. Well, now, some eight months later, that puppy is a fierce defender of my kids. Like, if he thinks someone is about to come around them, and he is all of 10 pounds, he will go crazy trying to defend them. And so in just a short moment, that puppy now knows who his people are, and he's not scared of us. In the same way, beloved, before we were gods, we were trembling. It's a fearful thing to be in the the presence of a holy God. We were trembling at his presence. But now God's word says that we are God's children. And that's our first observation. We are now adopted as God's children. And so just like this puppy, we are fierce defenders of our father. We're a part of his family. We know our identity. We know whose we are. We're secure with him. No longer do we come in trembling before a holy God. Yes, he is fearful and he is holy and we give him reverence, but he is also our father. We are adopted as his children. We, we were not his children, but now we have been made his children through his glorious grace. We were estranged from God, living apart from his mercy. Our hope was in the world, but now our hope is in Jesus, in Jesus Christ and him and him alone. So if you are a Christian today, you are now a part of the family of God, part of God's adoptive grace, bringing you in to his family. But two quick distinctions that should drive us from this reality. And the first is the blood of Christ covers the sins of all who believe and makes them children of God. So the blood of Christ covers the sin of all who believe. Believers are fully adopted, but God is not the father of all mankind. We don't believe in universalism, that everyone is saved from their sins, but only those who have believed in the shed blood of Christ Jesus. Our Father chose us from the foundation of the world. Our adoption should drive us to speak of the gospel. Why? Because not everyone has the hope that we have. Not everyone knows the adopted love of God. And even as we look throughout this last year, We've lost many family members. We've lost many friends. We've lost many loved ones. And beloved, the saddest part of all of that is we've lost people who are spending an eternity in hell because they've never known the adopted love of Christ Jesus. And so as we look at the death around us, as we look at sickness around us, it should remind us that as God's children, we want to go and make him known. Unfortunately, there are those who have never heard. Unfortunately, there are those who have heard and never believed. And it's our job to speak of our Father. But the second 
clear distinction of God's adoptive grace is we are not cute children in need, but we are enemies of wrath and rebellion against God. Go back to the puppy. He was really cute when we got him. And, and we were thinking all the way home, these kids are going to die. This puppy is so stinking cute. Yeah, he was real cute when all of a sudden he started going to the bathroom all over the house. And he was real cute when he tore up my pair of shoes. And he was real cute when he all of a sudden started tearing everything up, right? And that's the thing we have to remember. We're not some cute, innocent little person, but we are enemies of wrath against God. Romans 5 tells us this, for while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Beloved, don't you get this? God loved us, not because we were lovable. He loved us because he desired communion with us and he wanted to save us and rescue us. Romans chapter 1, 28 reminds us, they did not see fit to acknowledge God and God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossipers, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. I love telling my, my kids this. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. That was our biography. That was our description. That was our pedigree. This kind of dog that we got was a Yorkie because it would stay small and it didn't shed and Caleb is allergic to pet dander and so it was perfect for him. And we had all of the pedigree. We knew what to, we knew what to know. It gave us a little bio of what to expect. This is our bio. We were sinners, objects of wrath, and yet God still pursued us with his adoptive grace and his adoptive love. Oh, beloved, little children, how great it is that we are the children of God. And so we are. So we see that our adoption is not based on anything we give. It's on the lavish grace of Christ Jesus. And so we are adopted as God's children. The second observation we see from this passage is that the love of God compels us and reorients the way that we live. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, God being rich in mercy because of his great love. He loved us. And the love of God compels us, and it reorients the way that we live. When we truly grasp the grace and the love of God, it compels us to do the works of the kingdom. It changes the way that we look at our time, our talents, and our treasure. When we come to Christ, we realize that we are no longer living for ourselves, but we are living for Him. 2 Corinthians verse 14, For the love of God controls us or compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are called to model God's mercy, love, and justice to the world. And beloved, we must know that there will be a cost. It will cost us our reputation. It will cost us our politics. It will cost us our standing 
It will cost us our comfort, our possessions. It could even cost us our health. But ultimately, God gives us great grace to persevere. So we are adopted as God's children. God's love compels us and reorients the way we live. And the third observation is this. The Lord is saving us for himself and a future reality that is incomprehensible. God is saving us for himself and a future reality that is incomprehensible. Verse 2 says this. What we will be has not yet appeared. The amazing love of God that gave us life when we were dead has called us to be born again and born into the family of God. And it secures our future glorification with the presence of God forever. Verse 2 connects the love of God, our present life as his children, and the future. Look at the whole of verse 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You see, John sees this unbreakable link from what we are now and what we will be when Christ comes. He expresses it in words of of great security. We know. In other words, the perfection and consummation of our sonship is coming. We know it is. We will be made like Christ. How? How? Because we are children of a promise-keeping God and a loving Father. And if He is holding us for a future that is incomprehensible, then brothers and sisters, He will help us make it through today. He will help us make it through tomorrow. He will help us make it through every minute and every moment. He will give us grace. He will give us the ability to, to die with dignity when our day comes. And he will give us the ability to make the most of every moment that we have for his glory. I lost a dear friend because of COVID-19. A brother who lives in India. He's an Indian believer. And he was actually, and he knew he was in the high risk category. And he knew that if he contracted the virus, it would surely mean that he would die. But he did not count his life as precious. But he was out in the midst of the slums feeding the people who were hungry, feeding people who had no longer had a job. And he came upon a man who was sick and he shared the gospel with him. And as he shared the gospel with this Hindu man, little did he know that Hindu man was sharing the virus with him. Through life and through death, when we have a God that has promised us a future, we realize that every moment that we have is for his glorious grace. And we make the most of it. Because this is our reality. I love what Revelation chapter 21 says. This is a reminder for us as God's children. This is our promise. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. 
I will give from springs of water of life without payment. And to the one who conquers, this will be his heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Beloved, this is what we're living for. The moments we have on this earth are borrowed time in order to allow as many people to know of the expressed glories of God. Let's not waste the breath that we have. Let's not waste the life that we have. And let's not shrink back in fear from making the gospel known with all boldness. But our future reality is incomprehensible. But we also see a fourth observation, and that is that Jesus came to reconcile us to God and give us a secure hope for the future. Jesus had to come so that he could reconcile us from sin. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Mark 2, 17, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 1 John 3, 8, which we just read, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You see, as verse 3 says, we are now pure because Christ is pure. We have a new identity through our adoption. God the Father no longer sees us as sinners, as insolent and rebellious people, but he sees us as children, his beloved children. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Our identity is hidden in Christ. And this gives us a secure hope for the future. But with these foundational observations on the love of the Father and our sin, John transitions to the major opposition of the children of God. Because we read and you look at these observations, and you may hear me talk about this inexpressible hope that we have. But then we look around and we say, yeah, but this is hard. And and there are days I feel like I'm under attack. And there, there, there are days I feel like sin is literally creeping at my door, looking to distract me by everything. And and John transitions that we are in a war as God's children. We're in a war against sin and the devil. And he uses very descriptive terms here about the father, the father, those whose father is the devil and those whose father is God. I kind of think like like this. This year, Caleb turned 16 and, you know, we're usually a little bit behind on the movie ratings right? So they were watching G movies probably until they were like teenagers. And so he's 16 years old and all of his friends have watched the Born Identity series. And he goes, hey, dad, since I'm three years past PG-13, you think it'd be okay if I watched some of those movies? So we decided, okay, we'll watch these movies with him. And we kind of binged watched them a little bit. And I, and I realized I was watching, and I don't know if you've seen the Born series, Jason Bourne, but it's like he, he, he comes against these, these, uh, different people. And it's like, he can't ever defeat them. It's like this battle that goes on for five hours or five, de- you know, hours. And you're like, how in the world is this guy going to be defeated? And, and over and over again, these battles just go on and on and on. You know, in life like that, sometimes we feel like we're trying to battle against sin. And we're like, can we ever just get past this battle? Life sometimes feels like a battle. 
And so I want us to see three takeaways that John gives us in encouragement for the mission of Christ to destroy sin and the work of the devil. The first encouragement or takeaway is that Jesus came to destroy sin and lawlessness and its control upon his children. Look again at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Lawlessness is living as though your own ideas are superior to God. Lawlessness is saying, God may demand it, but I don't prefer it. Lawlessness says that God may promise it, but I don't want it. Lawlessness replaces God's law with my contrary ideas. Oh, but the Son of God came to destroy Satan's control on us. So brothers and sisters, when you're being attacked, when sin is crouching at your door, and you feel the Spirit of God constrain you, bring you to repentance, know that that's your loving Father helping you resist the devil. And he does it. When we're tempted, the Holy Spirit whispers to us, gives us power, gives us the ability to to overcome sin and temptation, but we must lean on him. We We must trust in him. I remember our kids, before they had their own money, at Christmas time would go buy their siblings other you know, gifts with our money. And then on Christmas Day, they would be like, hey, look at what I got you. you know, and, and they were like, thank you so much for getting this for me. And you know, as a loving father, I didn't go, hello, wrote the check over here. But I let them have those moments. And the truth of the matter is a lot of times we're like that. We're little glory thieves, right? God has given us every good gift. God has given us everything that we have. And so let's go back and praise him. And let's, let's, let's ask him to help us, to give us the ability to overcome the devil and to destroy the work of sin in our lives. The second takeaway of, from the mission of Christ to destroy sin is that this, Jesus came to absorb the penalty and the wrath of God due us for our sin in order to open our eyes to righteousness. I love what Isaiah says, Isaiah chapter 51 It says, wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl the cup of staggering. What is Isaiah 51, 17 saying? It's saying that we deserve to drink of the cup of God's wrath, to drink it down to the dregs. Like when you've made Kool-Aid and you got the stuff at the bottom, like drink even that too, even the leftover there. That's what we deserve. But then listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 51, same chapter, but a couple verses later. Listen to the righteousness of God. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, and you shall drink it no more. Christ Jesus came not only to give us life, but to take our punishment. We sin, Jesus takes our punishment. And that is God's miraculous grace. We will drink no longer of God's wrath when we are his children, because he has taken that cup and he has taken that wrath on his own. That's why Isaiah continues in Isaiah 53, verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, 
He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. We have been accounted as righteous. So when you read these words in 1 John and you say, the children of God do not practice, make a practice of sinning, don't go, uh-oh, I'm doomed. If you only knew what my week looked like. Because, I, I mean, I feel like I'm a child of God, but, but I've made a practice of sinning this week. Here's the truth of the reality. What God sees, is he sees the life of Christ in you. And Christ has taken that wrath from you and given you his righteousness so that we can stand before a holy God and we can ask him for his help in our time of need. Paul tells the church at Corinth, therefore, because of this truth, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus absorbs our penalty. But the third takeaway is this. We participate with God the Father in showing the mercy, the justice, and the love of the gospel as his beloved children. 1 John 3.10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Because Christ first loved us, we love others. We look around and we see the poor, we see the needy, we see the broken, the orphan, the widow, and the vulnerable. And we love them because Christ first loved us before the foundation of the world. James says it this way in James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one that wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit back there, you sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and not the writ. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged according to the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Beloved, we have been loved with extravagant grace. Now, as God's children, we are called to show that grace to a world in need. The broken to the sick, to the downcast, to the orphan, to the vulnerable child, to the single mom 
to the pregnant lady to show her that life is sacred and life is worthy of honor because that life is made in the image of our daddy. That life is made in the image of the one who rescued us, took on the wrath that was due us and gave us his righteousness. Creates a response in us. John says it like this in 1 John. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Verse 18, little children, let us not just love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, when we follow Christ, we get God. He is our inheritance, and that gives us great courage. We follow him not to earn our faith or earn our salvation, but as an overflow of thanksgiving for our salvation. And we follow him to the ends of the earth. So in closing, I want to exhort you in two quick ways. First, consider the embrace and the wonder of our adoption into God's family through Christ Jesus. Consider the wonder of our adoption. And as we consider that wonder, let's go out and do the acts and the deeds of justice for the world. Brothers and sisters, may we look different because of the way that we love one another. May we look different as God's family by the way we love one another here and by the way we love the world. And we show God's grace to the world. But then second, would you consider investing your time, your talent, and your treasure in caring for the poor, in caring for the needy, in caring for the marginalized, the orphan, the widow, the single mom in your midst, the struggling family? Would you invest your time, your talents, and your treasure? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Oh God, we thank you that we are called children of God. Oh, we see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so are we. And so as your children, Father, I pray that we would take this glorious gospel to the ends of the earth. God, I pray as your children that we would show your love and your mercy and your grace to those that are hurting, to those that are vulnerable, to those who need your love. Father God, I pray if there are any in the sound of my voice who don't know the security of the adopted love of God, I pray that today would be the day that you would open up the eyes of their heart and that you would woo them and draw them to yourself. They would lay down their burdens at your cross And Lord, that they would be adopted by you, that they would repent, believe, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm. God, for all of those outside of this faith family, in our biological families, in our sphere of influence, who don't know you, Father, I commission us all to speak boldly in the way that we love, in the way that we speak, and the way that we invest in the gospel of Christ Jesus your gospel would spread faster than COVID-19. Your gospel would spread to every corner of this world and that people would come to save the faith of Christ Jesus. It's 
in your name that we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music